Okay, we are ready to get uh, to continue with our Leviticus study. And last time we got together, we went through the first six chapters on through verse seven. So we're going to be picking up um, again in chapter six, starting in verse eight. And we're going to do this very um, similarly to the way we operated last week, where we're not going to be able to read through every single verse um, just because of how many verses are being covered and the repetitive nature of this. We are going to give more of a an overview and highlights um, and um, sort of uh, hopefully give a taste for Leviticus so that that would encourage <clears throat> encourage you to go and um, dig more deeply and to read every single verse for yourself. Um, but as we get started today um, with uh, the burnt offering, last week we finished off um, with an entire section dealing with different offerings. But as Sherry had pointed out, they it was dealing from the standpoint of the people coming and making the offering. And we're about to jump into uh, more offerings, but it's going to be a, a different section because we're going to be looking at it kind of through the eyes of the priest um, so we're going to start there just to kind of give some background and foundation. Um, before we get into the chapter by chapter, um, ladies, were there anything that, uh, overall stood out to you from chapters, the rest of chapter six through chapter 10? And Elizabeth, I'll start with you. I think something that really stood out to me in this section is just how much responsibility the priests have for themselves to be holy before God so that they can have so they can fulfill their position as intermediaries between the people and God. I think that's really important. You see that come out a lot here, which um just always makes me think of how as Israel got worse and worse, a lot of it was because their leaders were getting really bad, their priests were getting really bad. And um actually kinda like what Alexander was talking about this morning about having good leaders and not just blindly following people. People were blindly following the priests because they were, you know, supposed to be leading the people well. But obviously, as that deteriorates and as they get further and further away from the law, the worse things get. Mm -hmm. And on the, a, a sort of a tag on to that, one of the things that stood out to me was God's... Um, his view of uh, leadership and the heavy responsibility that they bear mm -hmm. in representing the people um, and how strongly he held them accountable. Um, and, you know, in the New Testament, there's uh, many passages like, you know, uh, be not many teachers. And um, I think, again, that's sort of the same thing. Not that God doesn't want people teaching, but you really consider heavily the responsibility that that brings upon you when you step into a leadership role. Mm -hmm. What about you, Sherry? Just the whole theme, I think, of this whole section would be categorized as um, what Kelly said one time in one of our singing uh, classes, worship is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so I just think I just think the whole section um, reminds me of, okay, it's dangerous. You need to make sure you're dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's mm -hmm. because this is dangerous. Yeah. And so you have to have the proper reference, excuse me, proper reverence. You have to follow the rules like they were laid out. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and if you don't, 
there's consequences. It's sort of like, you know, playing with fire. Fire is dangerous. Fire is great. It does a lot of really wonderful things mm -hmm. and you can use it for so many amazing things, but it's dangerous and you better be careful how you use it. Yeah. And that's, uh, to me, it's one of the chapters that we'll get into reminded me of that C.S. Lewis quote about the lion and, mm -hmm. you know, how some people cannot understand how something can be awesome and terrifying at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think mm -hmm. that's so helpful as far as getting a full picture mm -hmm. of God and not mm -hmm. just what we want to see or what we've been told or that kind of thing. So, okay, well, with that, we will jump in and um, start with Chapter 6. And I believe, let me check my notes. Sherry, I think you've got our first section there with 8 through 13. 8 through 13. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, and put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Okay. Okay, so um, a couple of things here. Um, the, um, the first thing I notice is that... Um, the fire is supposed to be kept burning all the time. Mm -hmm. um, the fire is not supposed to go out. And um, I think that that, um, that sort of reminds me that God's presence is always there. Whenever we see fire among the people, it's always a sign that God is somewhere, either exercising judgment, um, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Um, whenever there's... whenever there's fire coming from God. It can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, but it is a sign that God is there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we'll see that in a lot of things in the, in the, in the rest of this section, but um, just that the fire is supposed to be kept burning all night. They're not supposed to let the fire go out. Um, uh, also, um, uh, I noticed in here about the... Um, um, the priests were supposed to wear a particular garment. They were supposed to put on their linen garment, and then they had a linen undergarment that we would put on underneath it to keep the linen garment that they were using uh, holy. Um, so, um, and that they were supposed to take the ashes outside the camp. They were actually supposed to change out of their clothes that they were wearing in the temple grounds and take the ashes outside and then change back when they got back. They were not supposed to wear the, the garments that they were using to worship in order to take out the trash, basically. Yeah. They were supposed to change their garment. If they went outside the camp, they weren't supposed to go out with the same garment. So the, the idea of just keeping things holy mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Then the next section that we see there is going to be 14 through 23, where we're going through the grain offering. Um, and as I was looking through that, um, one thing that stood out to me is you've got two different types of uh, offerings that are under consideration here. One is going to be the offering that um, you give uh, just out of Thanksgiving. And then this the second would be out of a um, uh, vow or, um, and I'm, this is, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead to seven. Let me back up. You've got two different things that are going on in the grain offerings. You've got the one, both of them have um, no yeast. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it says that, the, that nothing should be eaten of it. Um, so we've seen that before in, let's see, chapter... Two, mm -hmm. um, where no one is to to partake of that. It's to be um, totally consumed. Um, I mean, or, excuse me. I'm sorry, y'all. This is I'm jumping in too many different places. But um, in chapter two, correct me if I'm wrong. But they the they do partake in chapter two. The priest that is. However, in chapter six, where we're talking to the priest. This is where they do not. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just making yeah. sure. Sorry, got my later. notes too jumbled mm -hmm. up. Um, and so that was that was the only thing that stood out to me that was different is because as we I think we you had said Sherry last time about just the difference between when it's for the priest. Obviously, they're not going to be partaking of it as opposed to when it's for the people. Then that's what's set aside. Mm -hmm. So that was the main thing that stood out to me is different in that. Mm -hmm. um, and sorry, the fellowship is the two different ones. We'll get into that in the next chapter. So that's all from that section. And then Elizabeth, I think you wanted to cover the last part of that chapter. Yeah, so that last little um, <clears throat> section is talking about the sin offering and how the priest are supposed to offer that. But what really um, stood out to me is in... Um, uh, I lost it, sorry. Uh, verse 25 where it says that it is most holy and holiness is really emphasized in this section especially then you talk about the the vessels that they're cooked in um, that the sacrifice is cooked in if it's made out of like pottery you gotta smash it and if it's in bronze you have to scour it out really well so ensuring the holiness of the instruments used in worship and then I also thought it was really interesting in 27 where it says whatever it touches its flesh shall be holy and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place mm -hmm. so just talking about making this connection between the offerings and specifically the blood of the sin offering purifying atoning um really gets at kind of the purpose of these sacrifices it's just establishing this holiness, how how you come before God must be holy, and if you as a people are going to live with God, you have to be holy. Mm -hmm. I think that just really shines through in that section. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what even in the in all three of those sections, I do appreciate that there is that emphasis 
throughout of make sure that nothing unclean or nothing unholy um, comes, in, comes into contact with it or else it becomes impure. Um, and I just think that is um, not just, uh, I mean, it, it's, I think, super emphasized, if you will, in worship, but I think that is supposed to also kind of bleed over into just daily living that we, you know, especially when we get to New Testament, when we talk about um, being God's temple and that sort of thing, then we are supposed to be paying close attention to keep ourselves pure, holy, undefiled, those kind of things. Um, anything else from chapter six? I know we're kind of flew through that pretty quickly. We're going to slow down in a couple more chapters, but a lot of this is, like we say, repeat but from the priest's perspective. So we are going at a pretty quick clip through 6 and 7 and 7. So anything else you want to bring up? Okay. All right. So in chapter 7, we're continuing on with uh, the same thought, uh, but now we're going into the specifically the guilt offering. And um, in those first 10 verses, mm-hmm. um We've got, again, the same regulations that apply to the guilt offering as, as was applied to the sin offering. Um, and on this one, the, it says the priest may eat of both. So um, in, um, I'm just going to read uh, three through six real quick. Uh, just kind of, I mean, this should kind of jog memories and, and sound very familiar. All its fat shall be offered, the fat tail and the fat that covers the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which which is to be removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Any male in a priest's family may eat it, but it must be eaten in the sanctuary area. It is most holy. Um, again, that emphasis that we've been talking about. Um, and then the next few verses just basically say the same thing, um, but for the burnt offering. Um, and a question that I wanted to pose, and we may get to this at the end if we have time, um, but Sherry, you may be the best to answer this, is um, I don't know if we would find this in Deuteronomy or in Exodus, but just one of my questions is the difference between sin offering guilt offering burnt offerings Mm -hmm. so um if we have time at the end i'm just going to put that aside uh for us maybe to to talk through um because in all of this we're dealing with the how to's not the why you even do it Mm -hmm. so um that's kind of the question that popped up in my mind as we're reading through and so sherry you've got the next section i think 11 through 21. Do you want me to read it? Um, It's up to you. If you want to take a section of it or read it time-wise, I think what I was hoping to do is 9 and 10 spend the majority of our time. Okay. So, um, in that section, um, I'm just trying to find if there's any... there's anything that I wanted to any particular verses but um, so this is about um, the peace offering Mm -hmm. and as we've said before the peace offering is not is a voluntary 
offering. It's not something that you ha that's required. It's just because you decided you wanted to do it. Um, it's also um, referred to as a fellowship offering. Mm -hmm. So, and it's because I think it's a meal that you share with the priest. So you bring the, you bring, but, but as we said before, just because you're bringing it voluntarily doesn't mean that there's no rules about it. Right. You can't just bring whatever you want and offer it however you want because it's voluntary and who cares. Mm -hmm. God says, okay, you want to bring an offering to me? This is, this is what I want. This mm -hmm. is how it's going to work. Um, and so there's a certain portion of it, the fat and the blood, that always is for God. Um, they weren't supposed to eat the fat or the blood um, because the blood represented the life, because the fat represented the best, and so the best always belongs to God. So then they would that, that is something that they would share with the, the priests, and this gives, like we said before, from the priest's perspective, what, uh, what it, what's the procedure for going through and, and doing the peace offering. Um, it seems to me like this is the most um, uh, this is the most like a type of Lord's Supper mm -hmm. because it is a meal that we share with Christ and um, uh, but you know it, it, like in when we look in first uh, Corinthians chapter 11 there's a way mm -hmm. to do it it's not just like just whatever um, and so, um, uh, so um, this is a meal that is shared between us and Christ, and this is a meal that is shared between the offerer and God and the priest. So we're all, mm -hmm. you know, sort of having a meal together, which is the way that covenants were sealed, the way that covenants were verified, was eating a meal together. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, that's that's what. Uh, I wanted to bring out in those in those passages um, there were three different kinds there was a votive which uh, is regarding a vow like if you would take you were taking a vow you would offer this this type of thing um, the Thanksgiving which is unleavened cakes and leaven cakes both so you can have leaven cakes in in uh, in some instances uh, and then the free will offering which was um, which was whatever you decided you wanted to offer, this is the way you would do it. Um, Did your translation say thick and thin on the unleavened loaves? Uh, my, I think mine said leavened and unleavened. Okay. But, um, because that's what I wrote down. Okay. Um, but I think that's the, I think that's the proper... Okay, I see now. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I misread that at first, and I thought it said unleavened thick loaves, and I thought, how can it be thick? But now yeah. I see it's thick yeah. loaves. If it's an unleavened with thick yeast. loaf, yeah. it's like a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You that's what ever I... eaten a thick loaf of unleavened bread? Yeah. It's like you're gonna break a tooth on that sucker. Right. Um, okay. So yeah. So I think that that's what it means is unleavened and right. leavened. Um, so, like, it, it, yeah, it does say in my translation, with sacrifice of his peace offering, verse 13, for thanksgiving he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. Gotcha. Um, uh, so, it, it, the, uh, in the previous verse it was unleavened, and then in verse 13 it's, it's leavened. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's, um, that's the peace offering. Yep. Oh, okay. One other thing that I thought was interesting there was uh where you've got 
the difference between uh, is it it I believe let me see if I can get this straight the the one of thankfulness needs mm-hmm. to be eaten that day right and the one that is the vow can go to the, can next, go till day. the next day. But right. then after that, then after that you better good. trash it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, yeah, I just probably some health concerns with those type of things. Yeah, keeping yeah. stuff too long. But right, um, yeah, uh, a lot of the offerings were supposed to be eaten that day, mm-hmm. and there are a few of them that you could save it till the next day. Right. Most but then that's probably eaten. it after yeah. the next day. Yeah. yeah. Anything that's I mean, we saw that with the when they came out of Egypt, mm-hmm. they were supposed to eat the lamb she was supposed to kill the lamb and eat it on the same day mm-hmm. anything that was left over they were to burn up yeah they weren't supposed to leave any of it right the next day they were either to share it you know maybe if you don't have enough p- people and you have too much food mm-hmm. you know you share it with as many people as you want but then when you're done with it you burn it's it. done yeah. yeah okay and then that last mm-hmm. section elizabeth if you would like to go yeah. through that um, actually, before I get to that, I kind of want to jump back a little bit because mm-hmm. we haven't touched on it yet. That little section from 19 to 21 mm-hmm. okay. about uncleanness, mm-hmm. um, I thought tied in really well to this kind of overall theme of holiness that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. where you can't eat any unclean thing, and they, um, I don't remember exactly where that is prescribed of like what animals are and aren't uh, clean. But then it also talks about how if you yourself are unclean and you go to eat a sacrifice, you get cut off, Mm -hmm. which I just really Mm -hmm. appreciate how um, Mm -hmm. very clear the the old law is about what do we do with people who are not coming appropriately before the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that there's this distinction Mm -hmm. between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And you have to preserve that distinction or else we're going to get you out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's interesting that, okay, so unclean does not necessarily mean sinful. Mm-hmm. Unclean, I mean, a woman was unclean a certain number of days after giving birth. Right. Well, was there anything wrong? She didn't do anything wrong. She just, mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, there are certain, if you touched it, you know, if you're, if you're with your relative and they die, you know, your grandmother dies in your arms. Well, mm-hmm. now you're unclean because you've been touching a dead body. Well, is there anything wrong with that? No, it's just, it's yeah. unclean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's a very it's good just, point. you know, clean things come, come into, into the presence of God. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinful. They're mm-hmm. just not clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, along that line, I don't know what your translation say. Mine says anyone ceremonially right. clean can partake. Right. Um, and so that would kind of touch on mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, that did stand out to me as well, Elizabeth, that mm-hmm. especially that last part that they must be cut off from their people. Mm-hmm. So, and again, as Sherry has been stating, God is very specific on what he expects. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, very clear. Okay. All right. And, um, you, what did I have you no, through? I'm closing out eight. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're 22 through 27. That's yeah. what I've got you on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which yeah. we kind of already covered that. Okay, perfect. All right, very good. Mm-hmm. All right, now um, on this last section, um, 28 through the end, um, is where we've got the free share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's what I've got on that is um, this is just such a an interesting section. So I'm going to read a little bit of this, um, not the whole thing, but um, 
um, just verses 28. I'm going to start in verse 28 and uh, read just a few verses here. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the Lord is to bring part of it as their sacrifice to the Lord. With their own hands, they are to present the food offering to the Lord. They are to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before the Lord as a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship, of your fellowship, offerings to the priest as a contribution. The son of Aaron who offers the blood and the fat of the fellowship offering shall have the right thigh as his share. From the fellowship offerings of the Israelites, I have taken the breast that is waved and the thigh that is presented and have given them to Aaron and the priest and, and his sons as a perpetual share from the Israelites. So a couple of things that stood out to me um, in this section and in the following verses on, um, let me uh, skip down to 36 real quick. On the day they were anointed, the Lord commanded that the Israelites give this to them as their perpetual share for the generations to come. So it seems like he is setting up a, um, you know, from here on out, these things are dedicated to the priest, you know. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, um, like, you've got, you've got the different cuts here. And um, certain things that... I wonder, I mean, it seems like anyway to me that when you see, you know, when you see these cuts, when you're, you know, these reminders that these are the things dedicated to the priest, you know, just like um, you've got, uh, well, let me back up to say the other thing that stood out is, um, that this okay this is this is a repeat of every time there is well not every time but most times that you have got the children of Israel coming and giving an offering there is going to be an allotted taking care of um Aaron I mean of the the Levites the priests rather um and that God had not just done that on occasion, but that it is set up as this is, they are always going to be taken care of. Um, and, but that is, it seems like it's contingent and we're going to talk about this some more in chapter 10 upon, are you doing the Lord's service the way he is said to do it? So in other words, um, you've got, when we jump to 10, um, where they're doing the, um, sacrifices the way they want to do it well no you're out you're done i'm not i'm not going to provide for you to do things the way you want to just do them however um and so that has stood out to me uh in this as a um <laughs> as a taking care of god's people um and uh and on uh, let's see, verse 37, where we've got, oh, no, 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 the ordination. Um, yeah, the ordination uh, completed um, in the last verse, which the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai, um, and he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to the Lord. So in other words, it seems like we're we're about to jump into 
the um, ordination of the priest, but before that he sets up kind of the ordination of this is how we're going to take care of the priest and make sure that they have something um, because they're not, this is their work for the, their living. Um, and so God is going to prepare for them in that way. Sorry, I know that was super rambly. I didn't mean for it to be, but um, I just thought that was a very interesting thing. Oh, the other thing that's what jumped from my mind was going back to Abraham and that covenant and share your mm-hmm. comments about, you know, consistently we have these, similar pictures of covenants that are made and I think this is one of those where you've got specifically um, the breast the thighs you know those sort of things specified and it makes me think of you know with Abraham how um, the was it the birds that were split Mm -hmm. you know and you're walking in between or whatever Mm -hmm. and uh, anyway similar to me and maybe I'm wrong in that but similar imagery of like, okay, this is another, this is a kind of a big deal, important thing of we're making another covenant mm-hmm. covenant that is going to be long-lasting, not just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. I know that was very yeah. rambly and jumpy, but um, those were my thoughts from mm-hmm. that last section. I thought that was something that we didn't just mm-hmm. want to breeze past. Okay. Chapter 8, um, we are starting off with Sherry on that verses 1 through 9 section. Okay. Um, okay, so um, it starts out that, we, that we, this is sort of, chapter eight is sort of a section in and of itself. It starts with the Lord spoke to Moses saying, which mean which we've established that's a new section, and then it ends with Aaron and his sons did all the things the Lord commanded by Moses. Mm-hmm. So the whole chapter eight is like this is what God said, and then He tells them what they were supposed to do, and at the end it says they did what God said. Um, and that's um, going to be interesting in the next couple of chapters. So, um, uh, so it's interesting to me that Moses, in this case, is so he's consecrating the priest. So, chapter eight is all about consecrating the priest, and Moses is doing it. So, but Moses is not a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, I think that Moses is acting like a Christ-like figure because um, he's sort of, you have the high priest and then you have Moses up here above him. So, um, so um, I think in, in, that, in this way, Moses is sort of a Christ-like figure mm-hmm. because he's doing the thing that a priest would normally do. But I mean, somebody's got to do it. So. Um, a person has to do it and so with Aaron's not been ordained yet but Moses sort of has so Moses is is acting as a Christ-like figure um do you think also that one thing I was wondering is is this sort of I mean like you're saying Aaron has not been ordained right to me I was wondering is this sort of an exception to the rule because we're getting this set up and started is that okay Right. right because after this then Aaron sort of takes over, right? And but but you know before the ordaining, but Moses does the ordaining, and so it's interesting to me um, that um, we have other passages that talk about um, that talk about Moses being a type of Christ, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of them, but but um, you know partial list Deuteronomy eighteen, Acts chapter seven, Stephen talks about it, mm-hmm. um, also Matthew. Uh, uh, 
chapters one through four sort of sets up Christ kind of like what mm, at the beginning of Moses' dispensation Mm -hmm. was kind of like Mm -hmm. um, with the birth and the baptism and the and all the things that all the things that sort of led up to um, because Matthew is about you know convincing the Jews that this is the Christ right. and so he's going to sort of mimic the early part of Moses's life and how it's kind of similar like mm-hmm. he's the second Moses yeah um, so um, also the um, let's see what am I going down through I'm going down through verse what nine I think that's what we said okay mm-hmm. so um, uh, one of the things they do at the beginning is to wash themselves mm-hmm. first. So it's interesting to me that washing comes before consecration and anointing. So they have washed themselves, then they consecrate, and then they're anointed with the oil. So, um, so washing comes first, and then purification. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And on through, okay, picking up in 10. Um, I'm just going to go uh, read 10 through 13 very quickly. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. And uh, like you were saying, you've got that kind of completion of thought sort of where you've from the beginning of that chapter to, you know, to the kind of ending of that section um, with the consecration. But it is so interesting to me that we... I feel like it's so easy for us to separate spiritual from physical. Mm-hmm. And um, and Leviticus is one of those very um, repetitive places in the sense of continuously there's the washing and the consecration. Um, and not just of people, but of all the things as well. And I just, I think that is so interesting because... Not that there's anything special about these things, but everything that we are going to use, we are going to make sure it is, you know, it is set aside, it is holy, it is for this purpose and not for common use. Um, And I just, I think that's so, it's just over and over and over through Leviticus. And that's another section where that jumps out to me, um, where I think, well, this is about the priest and it's gonna be all about their washing and consecrating but it also goes through the specifics of the tabernacle as well. So it's not only um, the people, but everything that's it being put in use. And I just, that's that's interesting to me. And it it's so counterintuitive to me because I just think, well, it's all about the people, you know, it's, but, but I think there, I think we overlook sometimes the mundane things that God says for us to do and the things that that should teach us, mm-hmm. you know, um, and not to, don't want to get off into a tangent, but you know, I, there are other cultures that I think there's a degree to which they connect those better, I think, than our mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. does. Um, of you know, daily getting the dirt physically getting the dirt out, mm-hmm. but that being a reminder that we 
you know, inwardly pure, need to purify, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, so anyway, that stood out to me in that section. Uh, Elizabeth, if you will, um, was there something that you wanted to pull out in the latter part of this chapter? Yeah. So, um, I really liked, um, verses, uh, 30, I think it's 33 and 34. I'll just read them. Mm-hmm. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordinate you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. Um, and so, I don't know, my brain automatically jumped to, oh, they're being quarantined for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what it is, is they are being kind of secluded in the tabernacle to keep them away from anything unholy and that it just re-emphasizes how vital the holiness of the priests were because they're coming before God and it's taking seven days to consecrate them to have them fully set aside fully purified to serve between God and the people and I think that just gives a lot more gravity to their position to the situation when you think of how long of a process it takes for them to um get to this position to be able to do that job mm-hmm. and then um also emphasizing that this is what the lord has commanded and then like you already brought out at the very end Aaron and his sons did everything that the lord commanded by Moses mm-hmm. and then we also see how quickly that falls apart in the next mm-hmm. few chapters. Like they went through this very intense purification process, did everything that God commanded only to just kind of throw that out the window almost mm-hmm. immediately, which is something we see a lot mm-hmm. in this whole Exodus, Leviticus, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy kind of mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was all I had. Um, one more thing. And this is just a, um, I got so excited about Sherry's thing that I had to, you know, ended up getting distracted and tagged along that. But in verses uh, 22, 23, and 24, where you have, um, you know, again, Moses is doing this in lieu of the priest, you know, with the, the priesthood not being set up yet, that this being where we set up the priesthood, but where he takes the blood and you know how, you know, it's, you know, splattered on the altar well here he puts it on the right um earlobe the thumb and the what is it the big toe toe. yeah and uh, it's just to me it's just that picture of you know complete Mm -hmm. head to toe Mm -hmm. you know you are um solely set aside for this purpose um and that is again Mm -hmm. uh you know not to to get off onto Mm -hmm. too many tangents but it just that picture that image is so impressive to me and and remembering that isn't it at the beginning where he says uh does he gather the people yeah Mm -hmm. gather the Mm -hmm. entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting Mm -hmm. so the congregation is watching this this is not a private event and as you're saying you know it's should should be something that sinks deeply um, but as you know, we are prone to do, um, it's not long before, you know, we're off track again. So yeah. anyway, um, I just, um, on that note, um, think of it as the ear representing hearing and listening to God, 
the the thumb of the right hand doing God's will and the big toe of the right foot walking in his ways. Mm -hmm. So why the thumb and the big toe? Because you really can't do anything with your hand if you don't have a thumb. Mm -hmm. Like the thumb is the main thing. Yeah, uh, You can do without your pinky finger and you still do stuff, mm -hmm. but you can't do without the thumb. Um, same thing with the, the toe, the big toe of the, of the foot. It's really difficult to walk without yeah. your big toe. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that's just a, uh, as well a picture of, you know, the whole body mm -hmm. listening, doing, walking. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, chapter nine, uh, Elizabeth, if you'll get us started off, um, there. Yeah. So the beginning of chapter nine just goes right where chapter eight pick leaves off as chapters tend to do. I realized that was really dumb as I was saying it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we start on the eighth day after the seven days of consecration. Mm -hmm. And so you had all these offerings before they had their week-long ordination. And now you have more offerings at the end. So they've been purified. They've been consecrated. They've been ordained. They've got to sacrifice again. Um, mm. And I really liked how in verse 6 and 7... Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So um, we see here that, again, that this is super important because the glory of the Lord is going to appear to them. They are going to be right there with God, which is why it's so vital for them to be pure, to be holy, and to be making atonement not only for themselves, but for the people so that they can maintain that relationship with God. And then you have another example of like the blood of the sacrifice being put on the altar. And I really liked what Summer said earlier about um, being counterintuitive, just the way these things play out. And I thought another kind of counterintuitive thing is we're putting blood on stuff but it's making it clean mm -hmm. which is one of you know just the biggest symbols in the bible is you know the blood covers your sins blood atones mm -hmm. blood cleanses mm -hmm. but um oh what mm -hmm. was it? i was at summer camp one time and we were talking about how the temple the tabernacle would be just real nasty with all the mm -hmm. blood that was in there mm -hmm. and i think that 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 was the point to serve mm -hmm. as a reminder of this is the consequence of sin. Mm -hmm. um, and it all kind of starts here where you have the priest mm -hmm. putting blood on, I presume, these pretty much pristine implements at this point. Mm -hmm. um, just really kicking, kicking off this covenant well, making sure that everything's... Mm -hmm. You start with a clean slate. Mm -hmm. I think that's where I was going with yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so as you're coming out of there, out of that section and going um, into, oh, where was my verse? Okay, here we go. Verse 16, um, he, as in, that now we're speaking of Aaron, mm -hmm. he brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. And then it goes on to describe some of the other things he's doing. But it's it, to me, it seems like we're going into a transition here where it's sort of the passing of the baton. Mm -hmm. And Aaron is now 
like we we've gone through all this description of what what needs to happen in these offerings and now Moses is you know ordaining Aaron and Aaron is you know doing all the things mm-hmm. that we have just been told this is how you do the things mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um that's really to me a beautiful setup for this last section and uh Sherry if you would like to share your thoughts there at the ending of ending of chapter 9 mm-hmm. Okay, so I was really excited that I was going to get to do the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 because I think they tie in together really well. Um, uh, Verses 22 to 24, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is what happens whenever they're in the presence of God. Whenever someone is in the presence of God, you fall on your face. Um, So again, we're, we're seeing when fire comes from the Lord, it is the Lord's presence there. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, it's either a really good thing or it's a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought of things like other times in scripture where fire from the Lord appears. Um, you think about, um, the first thing that comes to mind is Elijah. Mm-hmm. Like fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. Um, uh, but you also have things like Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. where fire destroyed everyone. You ha- We have um, the de- dedication of the temple, fire came down and consumed the sacrifice in Second Chronicles 7. Um, Manoah uh, and his wife before the birth of uh, Samson, fire came down and consumed the, the, the offering. Gideon, same thing. Um, in the case of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, fire came and consumed them. Mm-hmm. And so um, depending on the circumstance, this could be a, this is either a sign that God is approving or he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, uh, in this case, the glory of the Lord appeared. When the glory of the Lord appears, fire comes down and everyone falls on their face mm-hmm. because we're in the presence of God yeah. and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. And uh, Sherry, do you want to, or I'm sorry, before we go to that, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. did you have anything else from chapter 9 section that you want to add before we... Uh, go into 10. No, I think y'all got it because I think Sherry's anticipating one stood yes. out to me. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, all right, Sherry, okay. if you want to go ahead and jump into 10. Okay, so um, beginning in verse 1, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And and then it's interesting. It says Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them out of the camp. So, um, A, just like what we said, fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, and that was God's approval. 
and then immediately after that. So we're still there. We're this is like on probably still on the eighth day. Mm -hmm. um, Nadab and Abihu weren't paying attention or whatever it was that they were doing. They were doing something that God had just said not to do, mm -hmm. and here they are doing it. Mm -hmm. And so um, whether they were doing it intentionally or whether they were doing it unintentionally and just being careless doesn't matter. Um, so fire comes out, consumes both of them. This has got to be just like, I, like what just happened? Mm -hmm. And um, and especially for Aaron. And but then God says, "I will be glorified," mm -hmm. which is God saying, "What just happened was not that." Mm -hmm. um, and it says that Aaron held his peace because Aaron thought, okay, yeah, that, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> right. And so, um, uh, so it's obviously the Lord expressing dis disapproval, the Lord saying, I will be glorified here. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so, um, uh, and then, and then the next verse is that talks about um, these other relatives coming in and getting them and taking them out. So they had to call somebody else to take the bodies out because they're still in the presence of the Lord. They're still, they've just been anointed, they're holy, they're cleansed, mm -hmm. and they can't go out of the camp mm -hmm. because then they would be unclean. And then this whole thing, I don't know, do we have to start it over again or like what? Right. So somebody else has to come in and get the bodies and take them out because we're still in the middle of this ceremony here. Yeah. So it's like, we can't stop the ceremony. Mm -hmm. So they're not like, okay, stop everything and let's start over again. No, it's like, no, we're still in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. And so Moses is like, you just take the bodies out and we're gonna continue with this. We're gonna continue with this. And so they're not able to grieve Right. Or anything right at that point because it's like uh, we're still in the middle of this, mm -hmm. and so um, so I think that's what uh, like that's what um, explains why they were not allowed to why why Aaron was not allowed to grieve at that time because we're in the middle of this ceremony we're not going to stop this ceremony because or this is the take important them out. thing yeah. yeah somebody else has got to come and get them and take them out right so. Anyway. Okay. All right. Um, Elizabeth, before we move to the next section, was there anything else that you noted in that section? Um, no, I didn't have anything else from that one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So oh, one more thing. Sorry. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Um, uh, this, this is like symmetrical with, um, so at the end of God's tabernacle instructions mm -hmm. and the instructions for how to make the priest's garments and how to make the priest's um, sanctified the golden calf mm -hmm. thing happens and so this is like a bookend so mm -hmm. at the end of when they've just gotten everyone consecrated and just got the priest's garments and everything is made holy then this happens at the end of this well and I, mm -hmm. I would just say too and I hope I'm not stretching too far on this but it does make me think here is a pattern that God sets up for us to expect look 
that you are you are going to and I think of it in terms of parent parenting mm-hmm. but you you understand the rules you lay down the rules you know for your people you mm-hmm. know I'm thinking of my own children mm-hmm. and it is so and I don't know why but every time I'm just floored we just went over this mm-hmm. why are you so quickly disobey you know like why are we having to go ahead and make the corrections when we just made sure you understood and to me it is a message of this is human nature mm-hmm. and one to expect it and not to be just thrown off by that right but two um you know the the kind of other side of that is look at you know god didn't say oh it's okay try again he said no I, I said this is the thing. This is the thing, you know, and and especially, and I just this is I guess my own guilt talking of, you know, I, I have every sympathy in the world for my kids, and sometimes I let that blind me to no, we were very clear. Mm-hmm. There's no talking out of this. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. Now right. you can be repentant, and that's great, and that's what I want, but that is not alleviate all the consequences you know and going through that not trying to throw fire down from the sky on my children but you know I'm just truly it is it is a pattern one of human nature and two you know like this is reasonable to expect that you carry through with the thing you said these are the consequences you know or this is what I expect um okay and I'm sorry Elizabeth I'm eating into your time you go right ahead in the next section all right, so um, starting in verse 8, there's this really interesting section where basically the priests aren't allowed to drink wine or strong drink. Um, and this is another one of those, if you come into the tabernacle drunk, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Another one of those coming improperly before God. Mm-hmm. But I really like verses 10 and 11 where it says, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So just on a very surface level, the priests not drinking any wine already kind of sets them apart, because that's just what people did. Um, And so they themselves are separate, they're different than the people, but I got to thinking thinking about it a little bit more. And like the whole thing with alcohol is it clouds your judgment. And so the priests needed to be people of just upstanding moral judgment. Um, so that part where he says you have, you have to distinguish between these things. Like how are the priests supposed to do their job if they can't even make good decisions themselves? So it makes a lot of sense, but it also kind of has this symbolic, okay, we're not going to do some things that other people do Mm -hmm. which is um something i see reflected a lot in the church that we're supposed to be called out we're supposed to be different Mm -hmm. and not do things the way the world does them Mm -hmm. um and i know most christians i know don't drink and so it just kind of ties into this continuation of we're supposed to be different we're supposed to have good judgment or at least Mm -hmm. try to have better judgment than a lot Mm -hmm. of the world does i think that's really important And then you get down to verses 12 through 15, and we're talking to Aaron's remaining sons and um, gives them this instruction to, you know, partake of the grain offering. Like, that is their portion. That's what they're supposed to eat. They're supposed to eat it in a specific way, in a holy place. 
but that is their due and that's what's provided for them and this is going to become important in the next section which summer mm-hmm. is that what you have okay mm-hmm. so just setting up this next section of it is very clear you are allowed to eat this you're expected to eat this this is your um i guess for better terminology like your wages for your job this is what you deserve um and we'll see whether or not they choose to do that yeah amazing segue (laughs) (laughs) okay so um verse 16 where moses says he's asking about the goat of the sin offering because he found out that it was burnt up and um he was you know as I, you know, we'd be say, be apt to say hot under the collar, um, and goes to Aaron and says, you know, why did they burn it up? It is, you know, it should have been eaten. It's holy. Um, and then Aaron replies in verse 19, today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. But such things as this have happened to me. Would you have been pleased if I had eaten of the sin offering today? So in other words, um, they had to make atonement, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's what was offered, not on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, Moses, it just... Mm-hmm. I feel I feel for Moses because I feel I I feel like I would be him in this thing of like seeing something jump into a conclusion and being like, Look, we already have two dead bodies, what is your problem? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then but when it's explained, um, you know, this is why they can't do that, Moses heard this and he was satisfied and then some others say he was silent, you know, mm-hmm. quiet like just just like Aaron, you know, earlier. My like, version says he approved. Oh, okay, if he approved, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I could just be seeing myself in, okay, all right, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but you also can see, you know, just the, you know, the the level of frustration that had to be kind of under the tension or whatever that had to be under the surface of, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, mm-hmm. we, why in the world would mm-hmm. we be going around to on this but um but anyway it was not as it appeared and so and again I just I do think it is interesting um going back to uh the way that Moses because I I have a feeling there's you know reading between the lines there was probably some nonverbal between Moses and Aaron Mm -hmm. and Moses went ahead and said this is from, you know, here are the words of the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Aaron had to remain. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there's so there's so much to this uh, human nature-wise that I feel like we would be, you know, tempted to what were the feelings, what was, you know, this and that. I mean, you know, not the mourning, mm-hmm. the, you know, all the emotions mm-hmm. um, from here. But it is impressive to me, the brevity that mm-hmm. God, you know, makes very concise and gives us what we need. Mm-hmm. And and bottom line, mm-hmm. and I know this is oh I gotta wrap this up quick. It's not that emotions are not important to God, but the bottom line is, are we putting our faith enough in God to obey Him as He has said to obey Him, and everything else needs to fall under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we're under a minute now, so I'm going to say. Uh, Bye, and next week um, we will cover the next few chapters. Thanks so much, y'all. So I want to get started with our class this afternoon and tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Okay, obviously you already know this is a class about journaling. But specifically what we're going to be talking about 
is not just journaling in general, but journaling with a purpose. Because everything that we are doing here this week is not just a frivolous, well, it's just random stuff that we just kind of put together with no thought. All of the classes, as you have already picked up on, they have a purpose, right? And as Christians, as believers in Christ and in God, we, all the things that we are doing are not haphazard. They're things we are doing with a purpose, okay? Now, when we start talking about journaling, there are so many different ways that you could go with it and really, really cool things that you can do with journaling. So I want to ask you first what your experiences have been with journaling, what types of journaling have you either done or been aware of, just to kind of get a variety of the different styles of journaling that's out there. So who can tell me any kind of journaling that you've been interested in? Holly? I've done bullet journaling and daily journaling. Okay, so bullet journaling and daily journaling. And what was your goal with those types of journals? Trying to keep up with habits and like, we, my mom and I did journaling where we would list what we ate and how much we ate so that we wouldn't eat as much because it made us uncomfortable to write down how much we ate. Okay, wonderful. So a lot of your goals is creating better habits and trying to improve lifestyle. Okay, wonderful. All right, what else? Julia? I would do bullet journaling and I would do like mood tracking and I would do like practicing my handwriting. Yeah, okay. So do you do like calligraphy kind of handwriting or? Okay, very nice. Okay, so very similar to what Holly has done. Are there any other types of journaling that anyone's done? Yes. Okay, so you did a style of journaling that dealt with your emotions and kind of processing that and trying to figure out how to do that and see it in a positive light and not just the obvious negative. Okay, great. All right, any other examples that you guys know? And it doesn't have to be ones that you've done personally, but just journals that you know about. Any other examples come to mind that haven't been mentioned? Okay, I don't know if any of, oh, yes. Okay, so just trying out different types of art mediums, but in pen specifically. Oh, okay, nice, cool. So like an artistic uh, style of journal. Okay, so you've got nature journaling, you've got travel journals, you've got experience journals, you've got, uh, oh, has anyone done stream of consciousness? I feel like probably a lot of you have done that without even knowing it. And basically all it is, is you just write whatever comes to your mind. There doesn't have to be a rhyme or reason to it. It's just getting whatever is up here out, okay? So stream of consciousness journaling is a thing. I wanna share with you my journaling experience um, because I am a weird kid, or I was a weird kid, now I'm just a weird adult. It's not as cute when you grow up. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there. but. When I was a kid, I loved words. I mean, like that, words were just exciting to me. I was the one who would watch Aladdin and not because I just loved the story plot or anything. No, I had my notebook with me and I wanted to write all the really cool words that I didn't know and I never heard and I thought would be really cool to use in my own writing. Yeah, like, at, you know, eight or nine. So that's the kind of kid I was, right? 
So when I got to be probably nine or ten, I started keeping my first journal. Have any of you read Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Anybody familiar with that? So, okay, so half of you know, and well, actually not even half. Okay, so Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day is one of my favorite books because I related. So what he did in that story is it was just one day in this kid's life, but it was pretty much the worst day for a kid ever. He woke up, there was gum in his hair, and his brother forgot to make sure that he had his clothes like I mean it was just all these one terrible tragedy after the other and that was the entire book and then at the end I mean it's not gotten any better like his light night light went out and I mean it's just the worst so at the end of the book he was like my mom tells me he said in it, it, it well let me say in part different parts of the story he would say, I'm going to move to Australia. You know, like, it's just like, I'm out. I'm done, you know. And I'm sure all of y'all have had those kind of days where it's just like, this day is the worst. Well, anyway, at the end, he says to his mom, you know, I'm going to move to Australia. And she says, well, there are still bad days in Australia. <laughs> it wasn't even like, oh, it'll get better tomorrow. It's like, yes, this happens, kid. So anyway, my journals, when I started out when I was nine or 10, they were very much like Alexander in the Terrible World, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I would write things like, oh, I cannot believe that Susie didn't want to sit by me at lunch. And it's just ridiculous that no one wanted to have dessert with me after school. And I mean, it was just like it was traumatic in my world, but it was not the most productive of journaling. Let me just say that. So, how do we approach our journaling so that we don't just bleh? I mean, there is helpfulness to bleh, but it's got to come to a good place at the end, right? Not just, yeah, blah happens to everybody. Well, that's true. However, have you read Psalms? I know you have. Do you remember some of the Psalms where David would go through an incredibly, legitimately horrible circumstance. He is running for his life. And the enemies are literally upon him. And Lord, why won't you hear me cry out? But then where does he go? I know you will save me. Because I have put you on my holy hill. So what a difference it makes from someone who does not have a spiritual grounding and foundation to someone like David who says, yes, these troubles are re real. These are true difficulties, but I know who to take them to because I know who can handle them, right? So my hope in this class this morning is to walk through building a journal for you to do here and this be something that you can work on and grow and make it your own. And then once you've got it like you like it, make it Instagram worthy. <laughs> I don't mean put it on Instagram. What I mean is don't worry about that while we're working on it today. This is what I called, what my elementary school called sloppy copy. So I don't want like, 
Holly is already showing out. Okay? Don't look at Holly. Alright? Ignore the pretty. I'm going to make her not use her beautiful things and just make it functional and then later she can make it gorgeous because it's just going to make me jealous. Alright. So the first thing we need to do is to create a structure. And the way that I have done this is to focus on the benefits of journaling. Have you ever considered that? Some of the benefits of journaling? Some things that are pros about journaling? If you have, I would love for you to share some of those things with you before I kind of walk through my top four. What has been helpful to you about journaling? Yes? Like, I did it over the summer. I did one over the summer. And I, I have sleep problems, and so I couldn't sleep. And either I would bore myself to death or I would work on it so hard that my eyes would get tired and I would sleep. Or just, it's kind of sad because I would just use it as a time filler. Yeah. Instead of doing something productive. But at no. the same time, it was like if we weren't doing anything, it was kind of nice to just sit down, be by yourself, and kind of work. So there are several things in there that I heard as benefits. Number one, it allows your brain to calm down to be able to switch off when it's time to rest and to have a place where you can put things down safely and not have to continue to work through it in your mind. Okay, that is a huge benefit in journaling. Okay, and it is so helpful and healthy for your brain to have those moments of quiet and attention to where you can sort through things because otherwise what happens if that all stays right up here does anybody know i'm going to use a term that i assume everyone in here is familiar with has anyone heard of the word anxiety anyone not heard of or not familiar with anxiety do you know what anxiety is? Or you heard the term? Okay, I just didn't hear it. see you nod. I'm like, okay, well, I want to make sure we are all on the same page. So we all know what anxiety is. Why do we, what is one of the reasons, there are multiple, but what is one of the reasons why we deal with a lot of anxiety? Pressure from our peers. Okay, there's peer pressure. What else? Yes. Everyday life has its own worries, and you can worry about tomorrow, the next week, the next month, things like that, and there it can be no end to that. Right. The overwhelm of things that are beyond us, but we know they're coming, so we're going to wring our hands, right? Excellent. And I know she did it, but it, sound, it seems like she looked on my outline and she's jumping ahead to scripture we're going to go to. But no, that's very well put. Very well put. What other anxiety-producing things are there in your life or the life of your peers in general? You've mentioned negative emotions. Do you know, are there some things that, are those things that would produce some anxiety? negative emotions yeah I mean not only that but as Lexi Joe was pointing out just a moment ago how many things does it take for us to get overwhelmed is it just a little bit or is it feel like it's a lot yeah 
But when we are able to use a tool like journaling, it forces our brain to not just say, oh, it's so much and it's so overwhelming, but to piece by piece start taking things out and dealing with them one at a time. I will tell you from experience, and I don't know if any of you have this kind of response. I don't know if it happens when you become a mother or some of you are maybe born with this. I was, I, it did not happen to me until I was a mother. But when I walk into a room, like let's say it's my living room, and there are toys on the floor, there's blankets everywhere, pillows are off the couch, and you know, somebody's supper from last night or whatever. It's too much, you know, and I just see a mess. I don't see, okay, no problem. Let me get the kids some toys, let me get the, it's not until I start working with those things one at a time and I start picking up and handling one thing at a time that I'm like, okay, it's, I, I don't have to go back to bed, <laughs> you know, because it's just this massive mess. Okay, same thing with our internal struggles. It's just a massive mess until we deal with them one at a time, right? And then can put them in proper order. So that's another thing that you guys both mentioned is bullet journaling. And that's something that I've seen over and over and over is the organization, right? Like I'm not, I don't know, are you an or, a naturally organized person? No. Are you? I would imagine you are. You seem like organized. You seem like got to work on it. That's me. I feel you. Not a naturally organized person. My mother could tell you, don't ask her. She'll tell embarrassing stories, and I don't want that. But it is something that helps. It helps those of us who are labeled more creative and like, you know, woo, all the spontaneity. Well, our world is chaos if we don't give it some organization and order, right? But for the organization and order people, it helps also for you to be able to see oh, it's not just about the organization. It also needs to be about very important things like my relationships, first and foremost with God, but also with other people. How are they? Are they healthy? And when you are journaling, that can help make those things obvious. Okay. All right, so here are my top four um, benefits to journaling. The first thing is focus, okay? We've already kind of touched on this, but have you ever noticed, has anybody done any scripture writing? Yes, yes, okay, good, excellent. Have you noticed if you do scripture writing, how much you have to focus? Because you may think, you may go through a familiar passage and go, oh, I know what it says, I'll just go ahead and start writing it down. But if you make yourself look you have to pay attention to every word, and it gets a little deeper, right? So there have been so many studies. It's ridiculous. I don't know why they keep doing studies like we've already proven this. But when you write, do you need something? My blood sugar. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, that's something you need to take care of. Okay, no, go right ahead. And Madison, you're going to escort her. Good. Okay. So when you are um, writing down, and I don't mean that kind of writing, okay, but actually paper and pen or pencil or whatever, when you do that, 
there is something about that process that forces your brain to think through things that if you just spoke it, it doesn't have to do. It makes it work harder. And it makes it really pay attention to what you are actually thinking. Because that is, I mean, I don't know if you remember in elementary school, wasn't that kind of a difficult process? Like a teacher comes in and says, hey, you need to write a summary on, you know, whatever you just read, okay? That is a challenging thing for kids to do because not only are you having to relay something back, but you're having to process through what are the proper words that need to be used to relay this message back, okay? So focus is my first benefit. Records, recording is the second benefit. Why in the world would that be beneficial? Having a written record of something. Yes? It's something that you can look back to and well, if you're younger when you do it, you can look at that bad attitude or if you have one and then see how not to be that or mm -hmm. something you need to change or maybe if you had a good attitude when you were younger, see maybe I need to be more like that. Yes. So it's a way to examine things out of the middle of the emotions of whatever is presently going on, right? So in my example of how I used to journal as a kid getting started and all the emotions that were being dealt with there. So in the middle of all that, could I see what was going on? No. I mean, all I could see was the hurt and the, you know, all the feelings, right? So one of the things that recording does is allows us to see a pattern when we're sane, which is helpful. Okay. Now, uh, and you had mentioned trackers. Trackers are great for that because I may think, oh, I did pretty good this month. I didn't do great at all. But if you're recording it, you know for sure where you are. Yes. And it's kind of like what she said. If you did it when you were younger, you can look back and see how much you've improved. Like for me, when I first started, my handwriting was terrible. I mean, that my handwriting in general is not very good, but it's improved a lot from when... I was like last year, I yeah. just started doing it, or the year before, and I mean, I just had terrible handwriting, and we could really read it. Yeah, so. and it's so, it is so encouraging when you feel like, I mean, I still don't have great handwriting, but then you go look back and you're like, oh, it is, it is so much better, leaps and bounds. Excellent point. Okay, my third uh, benefit is order. I put observe order. I don't know why. That was an old copy. I think I have it right over here. Let me turn that around. So let me ask you this. How many of you are naturally orderly people? All right, my people. I'm so glad you're here. All right, I'm not naturally orderly either, obviously. I could observe when it should have been ordered. Um, so that's something I need help in, because I do need order. We all do. I know y'all remember the very first thing that you read when you open your Bibles. Okay, where's that? What's that book? The first book? Huh? Say it louder for me. Genesis. Genesis. 
Okay, so Genesis 1 tells us a really amazing thing. It tells us several amazing things. But the picture of what is going on there, I want you to walk through that in your mind one more time. Okay? We start off, and the first thing that is said in Genesis 1-1 is God... Come on, y'all. Y'all know it. Speak it up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it's full stop. And then verse 2, you back it up. Whoa, how did that happen? And then he explains. So you've got the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. God comes up. Is there any order that he sees? There's no order. What is the first thing that he does? Light. Let us shine some light on the situation and be able to focus on what we're about to do. Okay. Then, the next thing he does, okay, I've got light and I need to separate out the darkness. Okay. You are two separate entities. Now, let me take the water below and separate it from the water above. Now we've got a firmament. Okay? Now, down here, what are we going to do? We're going to separate the waters from the waters, right? And we're going to create seas so that what can come up? The dry land, right? And the plants and all that is good from there. Now let me make sure that these plants have the proper season. I'm going to place the stars and name each one. And we're going to start rotating the universe in its proper order. Alright, now that that's taken care of, Time to get life in the sea, life in the air, and then on the sixth day, life on the land. And then his most precious creation, mankind. How beautiful that God begins with showing us that he is a God of order. Now, this is one of the Big, when a, a very important for me uh, benefits of journaling because I am not naturally that way but I, I need to be to some degree because I need to be like my creator right and that phrase and I and Miss Joycelyn has probably said it I don't know how many times and so many others and they're wise to say it but I did not appreciate it when I was young a place for everything and everything in its place and I thought that's the stupidest thing just put things just throw down well I found out what happens when I throw down <laughs> it's not pretty so it is helpful for us to make sure we've got homes and places for everything and we're going to walk through that with our journaling. Lastly is meditation. And you got, this is sort of a buzzword in some circles that it's kind of a hip thing to do is to meditate, you know, daily or whatever. And I don't mean cross your legs, throw your fingers together and, and you know, empty your mind of all the things. What I mean 
kids being able to clear enough clutter out of there so that you can meditate, think on the things that you purposefully want to think on, not just whatever comes across your newsfeed, right? So that you can recognize, here's what I actually want to be thinking on. So for me, what I have found in journaling is if I use these benefits to structure my journal, it will get me, y'all look and appreciate, from where I want to be, I mean where I am, to where I want to be, okay? Now, look at what you wrote and let's examine that real quick. And this is not a, I'm not asking for a response necessarily, but I do want you to ask these questions in your head as you're looking over your own words, okay? First, what is the focus? Okay, is there a focus? Or is it just random thoughts? Second, what did you record? Like, what is the actual stuff that was important enough to you to highlight from your day to record down? Third, is there any order? And I will tell you, my journals were the most random. I mean, I'm sure you could tell from my example that is no exaggeration, like, it, zero order when I started. The more I did it, the more I understood that order would be really helpful. Okay, so check that and see if yours is in any kind of order. Now, this last one, and this is super important, and it's a little bit less tangible, so it's kind of harder to answer, but look and see. Is there anything that you wrote down that is worth meditating on from today? Are there any worthy thoughts there? that you want to pull out and go, I really want to keep digging on this and keep thinking on this. And I ask that because girls, I know you know, or you already know this, but this week in particular, you've got so much wonderful, you've got so many wonderful resources to be meditating from. We have got singing in the morning that have some amazing thoughts if we're paying attention to the words. We've got the Bible classes that are obviously worthy of our mind's attention, our thoughts. And then you've just got the relationships here that are really incredible. My sister asked me this morning after the breakfast prayer, um, if I was okay, you know, if there was anything specific that kind of got to me, you know, that kind of thing, because, you know, I was, was getting a little choked up. And I said, April, it's, it's not anything specific except that when we do weeks like this, you cannot help but consider and meditate and be appreciative for the blessings God gives through the support of other righteously minded people. 
And I know you girls have heard this so many times about, oh, this is so important. Make good friendships, make good relationships, make good interactions with the counselors and all that because you'll need it. But I'm telling you, firsthand experience, there will be a day when you go through a difficulty. And you've heard of many difficulties. There's a variety of ways it can come. But whatever it is, if you are purposeful about nurturing godly relationships, you have a solid foundation of God's blessings covering you along with God himself being there for you. And there is nothing that is more valuable in this earth than that of his children being able to reach out and support one another in those tough times. But you have to be purposeful. That's one of the things that Amanda said this morning that I wanted to emphasize is Amanda does not have all these wonderful relationships because they all said, Amanda, I want to be your friend. I just think you're the best and I want to support you. That's not how it happens. Do you know how it happens? I think you do. Amanda said, you are a godly woman. Could we spend time together? Can I, can I walk with you in the mornings? Can we get together next weekend? Y'all know how to do relationships, right? Be selective about who you are doing that with because there is no better group of people than God's people that you can set yourself up with. And I was thinking about this the other night when I went to hear Brother Wes Brown and Miss Joycelyn was there and Sarah and the, um, Charlie and Robin and uh, there were probably for a few others, but I was just looking around and thinking again, what a blessing. These are God's people, and I'm so thankful to be among them. And I'm sorry, that's a, too much time on that. Okay, now, we're going to go through and look. Those benefits that I just mentioned to you, focus, record, order, meditate, those can be found in any kind of journaling. You do not have to be a... Um, <clears throat> Christian or even spiritually minded to gain those benefits. But we are. So let's look at those spiritual benefits. Okay? Focus. Does anybody know right off Matthew 6, 33 through 34? I know somebody does because she's already alluded to it. So, Lexi Joe, can you tell me again what you said about worry? Um, don't worry because, well, what I said was that there's no end to worry. And if you do worry that you'll, if there's so much stuff that you can worry about that you'll end up just having to not thinking, think about it, otherwise it'll just overwhelm you in your brain. And okay, that's all what does our Lord say about that? Don't do it, because it isn't gonna add a day to your life or keep it to your height. Good, that's a different passage, but very good. Excellent, he did say that. 
Matthew 6, 33 through 34. Can anyone turn to that for me? Or if you can quote it, I'm happy for you to do that too. Holly, were you about to quote? I know part of it. That's okay. Go ahead and pull it open and read it. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Okay, read it nice and loud for everybody. Oh, but seek first. No, you go ahead. Nice and loud. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. Okay. So, right before that, those verses before, if you look up and see what he has said just before that, don't the birds take Aren't the birds taken care of? Aren't the flowers of the field clothed? Do not worry about the details of what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, all the physical things, because God will take care of that. And then what does he say right after that? What are we to, I'm putting this in quotes, worry, concern our mind with? To seek first what? the kingdom of God. I don't know how many of you are already thinking in terms of boyfriend, husband, that kind of relationship kind of stuff. But if that is crossing your mind, let me encourage you to refocus on seek first the kingdom of God because if you do that, the boy thing will fall into place and all the other details, they fall into place because you are focusing on what is the important thing that you can focus on. And this was mentioned in Miss Amy's class about our sphere of influence and how much we actually control. Do you know how much you control? I'm just going to, like, you don't know? Do you control a lot? She said nothing. You do control something, but it is very small, right? You don't control what happens to you. You don't control the environment around you. You do control this. You control what happens to your eternal soul by how you respond to those things. All right, the second one is records. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. How many homeschoolers do we have in here? Okay, one, two, all right, three. All right, if you girls don't know it, your mom is getting a call because this is like homeschooling mantra. Deuteronomy 6, it should be familiar, verses 5 through 9. If anyone wouldn't mind reading that aloud, I would appreciate it. Lexi Joe. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay. What is one reason that record-keeping would be important, spiritually speaking, based on that verse? 
or those verses, I should say. Yes. Not only is it helpful to you, but who also can it be helpful to? The next generation, right? So one of the conversations I've had this week is with my Aunt Sarah, and one thing that she had said is uh, she wishes that my grandfather would have kept a record of the times that he was in different congregations preaching and how he dealt with any kind of conflict that may have come up. Even the rejoicing things, just the stories of godly people working through difficult things. Because isn't that an encouragement to us? Don't we find that encouragement in scriptures when we read through people's lives? You can provide that. And one way to do that is if you are keeping records and that is passed on to your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews, all that good stuff. They learn from that, right? And what a huge benefit that is. And as a quick side note, if you do not write these things down on your heart, on your doorpost, can you teach them to other people? You can't teach what you don't have for yourself. So it's a huge benefit from that perspective. Order. Could someone turn to Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1? And if anyone has an idea of what Ecclesiastes might say in regards to order, you go ahead and let me know. But otherwise, just turn there and I'll have somebody read just that one verse. Madison, are you already there? No. Okay, do you mind reading it aloud? To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. <sighs> Guys, everything has a place and a place has everything. God even told us that. So I shouldn't have been upset when Miss Joyson said it. I never got upset when she said it. Uh, so, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you are in the middle of a tornado and you don't know which way is up, like emotionally? When we are able to get that out of ourselves so that we can do just as God has done, and we can say, okay, first, let me put some light here. That's a mess. All right? Now, I'm going to move this stuff over here. I'm going to pull this stuff back. That needs to go over there, and that needs to go in its place. Now, can we deal with things once we start getting things in the proper order? Yes. But until we do that, we're still in that tornado, and we don't know where the landing is under our feet, you know. All right, lastly is meditation. Psalm 2 and verse 1. Okay, Miriam, do you have that? Yes, ma'am. Okay, if you'll read that for me. Why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
I said the wrong thing. I'm sorry. One and verse two. I said the opposite. Psalm one, verse two. Sorry about that. Consider what we actually meditate on day and night. What are some of those things? Is it not tomorrow's concerns? Next month's concerns? The big project coming up? Does this person like me? All the different things that are not the law of the Lord. But if we make that the priority of meditating day and night on the law of the Lord, Will that not help us to be able to discern what's important about these other things that are taking up space in our brain, right? Okay, so I know you are probably wondering, are we ever going to build this journal? And yes, ladies, this is the time. So what I would like for you to do is on this first page that you have written on, could you take two pages where you've got fresh sheet, and I want it to look like this. I want it to look like a layout, okay? So flat on your desk. And what we're going to do is we are going to structure our journal according to the benefits that we've gone through, okay? There's going to be four sections. And then after we get everything set up, we're going to go through and add one more layer of application that I stole from Ezra, but we'll get to that after we get these set up, this set up. So the first section is going to be our focus section, and it's going to be our labeled and index. So at the top of both sides of your pages, I want you to put the word index just at the very top like a title, index. And then to the left side of each of those pages, I want you to write the label pages or PGS for short, however you wanna do that, but pages right here. And that's gonna be on the left side, so maybe outside the red margin would be a good place for that. And then in the middle, content. So I have always enjoyed um, informational books, you know, non-fiction type books because it gives me the answers of what I'm wanting to know pretty fast. But one of the things that I thought was the most brilliant thing ever was when I was in an elementary school and learned about the table of contents. I mean, opened my whole world. I had no idea until my teacher said, look in the front of your book. And I said, what? I know where everything is now. And it was great because I didn't have to start flipping all the pages. Okay, maybe it's in here. So I say this is our focus section because this is going to help you see quickly what you're dealing with in your journal. 
where exactly it is so you can go right to the page and work through whatever the thing is that you need to work on, okay? All right, flip the page, next layout. The next section is gonna be where we keep our records and that is going to encompass our future plans. So first thing at the top, write future plans on each side. Remember, it needs to be flat. Don't fold up your um, notebook to where you're just one-sided. I want both sides, future plans. Okay, and then what we're gonna do is we are going to list out the months of the year. We're gonna go through an entire year, but we're starting with our month currently which is July. So there are gonna be six months on each side. July, August, September, October, November, December is on one side. On the other side, January, February, March, April, May, June. So you see how it's one full year from today. Yes. Do we need to like double space? Yes, make sure you've got some space in between each month, okay? so. I just eyeball, but people like my sweet Holly, she will count it out and divide it, which is great. It'll be more accurate that way. Good. Anybody else have, I think everybody looks like they have it. Also, later, if you find out there wasn't enough space and whatever, sloppy copy, rip it out, do it over, no big deal. Can I get a different marker? Really Absolutely. Here, I'll just bring it to you. Want you to flip the page again we've got another layout this is going to be our order section this is where we take the chaos and create calm these are our collections so all you have to do on this is write the title on each page collections collections that's it that's all you have to do So the collections comes into two different categories. One is gonna be what Holly, the kind of thing that Holly was referencing earlier, different things that you might wanna track. Those are called growth collections. So things that you want to start new habits on, things that you might want to stop bad habits on, you know, all those kinds of things that have to do with, I wanna keep a record of how I'm doing in, you know, whatever that growth area is. I'm going to get, tell you about that with a big fat warning label. Are you ready? Because I need your attention on this and I don't want you to miss it. 
if you are doing a growth collection. It is so vitally important that you do not look at something like health. We'll take that example and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go for a 30 minute walk. I'm going to drink eight hours, eight uh, glasses of water. I am going to make sure I go to sleep on time. I'm also going to make sure that I get all my fruits and vegetables and a protein. It's too much. Okay. It's too, too much. So here's my warning label. If you're doing a growth collection, yes, that's great. Do it small. Choose one thing, poco a poco, little by little. And I think it is incredible. Have you noticed this about God's wisdom? That he, had in so many different ways, tries to teach us this. When he took the children of Israel up to the promised land, do you remember how he did it? He didn't immediately throw them into war, did he? No. One step at a time. And we've got to build those little muscles first before we take on more challenges. And I don't know how it is with you, but I know for myself, I can get very caught up in, I'm going to change this body tomorrow. And then what happens in two weeks? Uh, this body's good enough. I'm not going to worry about it. Right? And also, some of you have the temptation of YouTube, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, TikTok, of all the amazing things that other people are doing. May I also just say, turn the junk off, please. Just, please. Just take a, unplug, take a break from it. Especially if you're working on growth in yourself. Because it is too tempting to see someone else growing so fast. And then you got extra things you got to work through. Okay? That's my grainy summer coming out. All right, so growth, our growth uh, collections are great, but do them one at a time. So along with that, take one growth, growth collection, do it for a week, see how that goes. If it goes great and you feel like, okay, I think I can add another growth collection, sure, after a week. Do not add more than one a week, please, okay? All right, the other kind of collection is uh, sort of a seemingly boring collection. And um, that's like stuff you have to do, projects and whatever, those kind of collections. The other fun thing that you can do in collections are hobbies. Some of you are artistic, you've already mentioned that. Some of you like nature, nature journals are great. Anything you enjoy, that would go in this collection and you're putting an order to it, okay? All right, last section, turn it over. This section is the meditation section, and this section is just called daily. So at the top, just write daily on each side.
what you're going to be putting in your daily is like what it sounds like the daily so there's a couple of things that i personally use this for and here's what they are so every day i have goals of you know stuff i want to do right i never put more than three ever 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 okay so i put three of my very top here's here's what i really hope happens today okay the other part of the daily is after the day is done or at night you go and look and say now what important things happened in the day that i want to remember and it will be different for everybody okay so what is important to holly that happened in a day is going to be different from what happened to lexi joe in a day okay you're going to highlight different things and that's okay you highlight what is important to you and helpful to you so that when you look at that then you've got something to work on in preparation for the next day okay like what did get done what didn't get done how the day went in general okay we're going to go into that in just a little more detail in just a second all right now here's what we're going to do very last go all the way back to your index and i'm going to tell you very quickly that my this is my ezra method of application so has anybody started a journal and then they kind of burnt out and like it went to the wayside and then you wanted to get back into it or anything like that has anybody experienced that yeah okay um very common and very normal and i've started I, i've lost track of how many times i've started and stopped journals you know but a lot of that is what uh, there's a few reasons for that i think one is being over ambitious like Journaling an hour every day is just not in my repertoire right now, not my season of life, okay? So I don't need it to be that ambitious. Number two, I mean, it was either a hobby journal or something that, like, I get interested in, I get in, I don't, you know, that kind of stuff, okay? So with this application, the thing that has been helpful to me is this has made this, for me, a journal that has the purpose of overall growth not just like in one area and the where I got that from is from a an outline that I saw in Ezra chapter 7 so I'll read this aloud to you you may turn there and read along or just listen you all know who Ezra is so I won't go through that because Miss Jane has covered that but Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 gives us three things that Ezra did Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So in other words, he did three things. Let me pause this for just a moment. Okay. He learned what the law of the Lord was. He did the law of the Lord himself. Then he spoke it to others. Okay, I do not think there that was an accident that God put provide or preserved that for us. That is the same order of operation that we have got to do if we are going to be effective. One of those is going to be your strength, at least one of those, and it may be more. 
at least one of those is going to be a weakness. That is okay. However, that does not mean it's not necessary. I do not mind speaking to people. It does not bother me one bit. And so when people are saying, oh, I'm nervous, I'm not sure, should I have note cards? Like, it's just a person. Like, dance with it. Come on. Like, figure it out. And they're like, no, I don't. Mm -mm. No dancing. No, no. And you just gotta learn. It's okay. Other people love learning. Like, they would rather read a book all day long and not get a ray of sunshine and they would die happy. And then there are some of us, like my mother, who cannot stop herself from doing. And those are all wonderful things that God has blessed us with those strengths. But understand, we need to do all three. We must learn and we must learn first. It does us no good to have zeal without knowledge. After we learn, then we can do. And after we do in our own lives, and we're not going around preaching to everybody else first, then we have the ability to speak to someone else, right? Does that make sense that that order should never get swapped around? Have you ever encountered someone who got that order out of, who got that out of order? Maybe they spoke before they knew anything or spoke before they did it themselves. How good would it be if I was up here and I weighed 300 pounds and I'm gonna tell you how to lose weight? Are you going to listen to me? I haven't done it yet, right? Well, same thing with the gospel. They're not gonna listen to you unless you've done it first. Unless they see that is a godly woman, let me go talk to her. Why, why, why would they say that? Well, because you've done it. You've done the godly things, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through these um, sections, and we're going to point out how we learn, we do, and then we speak in each section, okay? So index first. Learn. You are going to be learning what is important to you in the index. So what you need to do is when... Um, when this index is filled out, take a look at it and decide and look and see, is this what I actually want to focus on? If it is not, cut it out, right? Okay. All right, do, this is very easy. Flip the page and on your future plans, start by numbering those pages, one, two. When you do that, Flip the page again, number the pages, three, four, and then one more time, five, six, and then we go back to the index and put the page numbers in, okay, and what's on there. Ooh, I got a fly.
after you've numbered the pages, go back to the index, put your page numbers under the pages. So like 1-2, and then under content, put future plans. So you know pages 1 and 2, content. Pages 3 and 4, um, what is it? Collections. Thank you, collections. And then pages 5 and 6 would be your daily. Alright, next section is going to be our future plans. So flip to your future plans layout. So the learning part of this is what is coming up? What plans do I have for the next few months? You may not know a year out from now, but probably the next three months you know some things that are coming up. So that leads us to the do. Write it down. Write down what you are going, you're planning on coming up in July, the rest of July, in August, September, anything that comes to mind. Might be a birthday party, might be a gospel meeting, might be um, a get together, whatever the things are that are important in your life that are coming up, write them down. No, you don't have, if you know it, sure, that's helpful. But if you don't, if you just know, oh, it's in this month, that's okay. You don't have to know the dates. I'm telling you, Holly, you are the teacher's pet, and I just love it. I like the dates and color coded. learn, do, speak, the speak part of this. Look at your plans. Do they include disrupting my class? <laughs> oh, that's well, at least it was not embarrassing. <laughs> Look at your plans and see, do they include anyone else? Now here's where the speak part comes in. If they do, great communicate with those people about the upcoming things and make those relationship connections regarding those plans. If they don't, figure out a way to include some people in your plans. Some of you may have gospel meetings coming up. Who can you reach out to? Who can you say, come on, come with me? Make excuses to do things with people. It is important. All right, next section is the collections. So what you're going to learn about in your collections is a couple of things. One, the areas that you want to grow in. And then the second thing that you're going to learn is what Holly had mentioned earlier, is you're going to learn how you are, how you are actually growing in those areas. You're gonna see the growth from over a period of time, okay? 
So what I want you to do right now is just take one minute, 60 seconds, and write a list of ideas of collections you might make. You don't have to make all of those collections, but just brainstorm and jot down some ideas of what kind of collections you would like to record in your journal. Okay, the last component of this collection section is that speaking part. What I want to encourage you to do with your collections, especially the ones that are growth collections, is to share those with other people that either one are interested in the topic or two are meant like say you wanted to do some kind of spiritual collection like if you wanted to do some prayer journaling or you know something like that the other thing i want you to do is to find a mentor to have conversations with that about this gives you another excuse to reach out and form relationships with people and think about the people in your local congregation are you interested in artistic work, sewing, in baking, in any of those things that you already know somebody in your local congregation, and especially older women, that you could reach out to and say, hey, here's the specific thing I'm working on, and here's how it went. How has that gone for you? What pointers do you have? Okay. That is so important to make sure, not only among your friends, that's the easy thing, right? And that's a good thing, but consider outside of your comfort zone and start looking around to people that you can start having some of these conversations with and forming more bonds with godly women. Okay, lastly is the daily section, and we're gonna have to really fly through this part. So what you're gonna do in this daily section, and I'm gonna leave this for you to complete after class because we're on the dot with it, is first, you're gonna list out what has happened today. You might do it in a shorter version than what you originally did when I had you come in. Like it may not be the flowery like, first thing this morning I woke up and there was something in my eye and then I had to go, you know, it may not like be all those details, there is a place for that. Here, you're basically, you're hitting the highlights, right? And, and noticing what happened today. What all did I walk through? Okay, so that's going to give you an indication of how the day went. That's the learning aspect. The do is when you actually write down, summarize, highlight, okay? 
speak. This is a wonderful structure when you are not sure, like, okay, let's say you're about to get ready for bed, throw your head on the pillow, but before you do that, you want to pray, but what do I pray about? This provides you some food for that prayer. Pray over what happened that day. Were there troubling things that you need to give over to God because you can't handle it? Do that. And again, one more time on this pl on plugging for reaching out and finding good mentors. After you've prayed over that, and maybe there's some still some difficulties to work through, find a godly older woman to talk to about it and say, I'm noticing this. This is a pattern. This is difficult for me. Give me some suggestions. And they will. They'll be so happy to have that conversation with you. Now, I'm, off I want, I'm offering up a challenge, and I hope that you do take me up on it. I know journaling will not be for everybody. I hope it is for the majority because I do find so much benefit in it, and it is such a helpful tool. My challenge to you is twofold. The first one is a really wimpy challenge because tomorrow is Friday and it's not going to take much to meet the challenge, but that's okay. I want you to do five minutes in your journal, your sloppy copy journal, this week, each day. Okay? So that's today and tomorrow. No big deal. Y'all already got that. The extra challenge that I'm putting, on, putting at your feet is that if you take this home and you continue to use it and work on it and adjust it and tweak it to what is helpful to you to maintain your focus and you can and you do that throughout the rest of the month of July what I want you to do is to write me a handwritten letter and give me an update even if you feel like you bombed it and at the end of July you're like oh yeah I spoke Still write me, give me an update. Like if you want to and you're excited about it. So what I want everybody to do is go ahead and copy down my name and address that's taped up on the wall there, please. And let me know, I didn't put my email up there for a reason. I want one of those snail mail letters. Snail mail. I love them. And I, I don't think I'll ever quit loving them, so. That's where my heart's at. Y'all give me an update at the end of July and let me know how it's going for you, if it is helpful or if it's not. 